Well, I really like a good origin story. I don't know if you do. I don't know if you have sort of watched movies like that. Um, I really, really like the Iron Man one. You know, the one where he's out in the in the desert cave and then has to build the, the electro sort of magnet kind of thing and then the power arc reactor that powers it. I, I just really enjoy the sort of the, oh, that's the backstory. That's how that got there and why. And uh, I don't recommend X-Men Origins Wolverine. Not such a good origin story movie. Do, do any of you guys have movies or shows that have origin stories that you, you particularly like or scenes? Because there's always that scene or that thing that just, oh, that's how it all began from the start of Breaking Bad, if you like particularly gritty stuff, to, uh, to, to maybe sort of, you know, the egg hatching scene of the, the what's the, the dinosaur on the land before time. There's, there's beautiful, there's cute, but the origins, sort of, they set things up for where they're going to go. And this story here is Jesus, the Christ's origin story. When it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about, it's the word Genesis. This is the origins. This is the Genesis of Jesus. Now, this is the anointed one. This is, this is the origins of the Messiah. And so we should be expecting here to, to hear things that resonate with the story so far, the big picture story of God working through Israel to redeem the whole world back to himself. And so that's where we're going to kick off. Verse 18. Let's read it together. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Well, that got awkward very, very quickly. Matthew's not shying away from it, is he? In the very first bits of the narrative, like these people aren't stupid, they know how babies are made. This This is very, very awkward. Oh, imagine if Joseph was talking to his mates down at the pub, trying to convince them that, oh, no, 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 this is, uh, this is, a, this is a virgin birth. <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, this is a God thing. The looks on his mates' faces, saying to each other, well, who's going to tell him? That's not how things work. Well, verse 19, it's good. We see there that it's a good thing Joseph probably wasn't down at the pub telling stories. He's not that kind of guy. He's a good man. And the way it's phrased, it's actually quite similar to his ancestor Boaz, the way that he was described as a a mighty man. And like Boaz, the welfare of the woman in his life is on Joseph's mind, despite the fact that, as far as he can tell, she's been unfaithful to him. What's he thinking? Marry her? I'm not sure that's an option. The shame that's attendant with that? Turn her in? Deuteronomy puts this kind of offence at the level of stoning to death for the punishment in the nation of Israel. Now, it's true that by this time, the Israelite custom had become that uh, a divorce certificate, which had been in the original law Moses gave them, you could use to cover the cancellation of a betrothal, and you could arrange to do that quietly without disgracing the other person and and ruining the rest of their life in terms of their place in the community. And that sounds like, I'm, I'm guessing late one night from the sounds of it, the way that Joseph decides to deal with this. 
He's there, he's considering these things, and that's what he decides to do. I'm going to sort this out without disgracing Mary, but I don't think I can marry her. And so as he falls asleep, he dreams. Verse 20. An angel of the Lord in that dream appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. Afraid? Like, like what about angry? What about, what about embarrassed? What about humiliated? What about hurt and betrayed? Don't be afraid to do it. It almost sounds like Joseph might have been considering marrying her still. Now, this must have been a very convincing dream appearance. I don't know about you, but I don't always remember my dreams. And when I do, it's a vague, weird, far-off thing where I'm like swimming through the kitchen, you know, like sort of strange stuff happens, and I don't take much notice of it. This is not just any dream, because he changes what he is going to do for the rest of his life. And Joseph's convinced and he obeys the command of the angel and he marries Mary. Takes her into his family. Despite the possible shame it will bring to his name, like his ancestor Boaz. He risks that to obey the command that God has given him. Now, I, ad- I admit I got confused when I read that part. This, this part here about command. Because I was thinking, what command? Is there a command? It just says he shouldn't be afraid, isn't it? I'll just go back to that bit. It just says, just says, don't be afraid. You see, Matthew's not saying that Joseph was desperate to marry her, and he just needed some courage, either Dutch or angelic, either way, uh, to, to, to go ahead with the marriage. Matthew says, no, no, this is an obeying a command thing. So let's look carefully just there at verse 19 to through 21. Something that's a bit of a pain in English is actually really helpful in the Greek. Now, um, in English, if I say, hey, you, um, I could be talking to just Joel, or I could be talking to just George, vaguely with no direction, or I could be talking to that whole section, right? Because you can mean all of you guys. And, uh, you know, if I said, hey, you over there and pointed somewhere between Chris and Lucy, they wouldn't know which one I'm talking about because the word you can, I say that to a woman, I could say that to a man, it's, it's the same. In Greek, you know if it's talking to one person and you know if it's talking to a male, female or an object. This you here is masculine and singular. She will birth the baby pink, you will name him Jesus. It is a command. That's how this is going to go, says the angel. No, she's going to do the hard part. (laughs) You just rock up and you name him. You claim him as part of your family. You give him your name by being his father and you name him Jesus. And he may not have wanted to. I mean, just think of the wedding dress. It's, it's, It's... it's going to, you know, Mel and I had a very short engagement, sort of a th- three months, and so the, the question from the dressmaker was, oh, should, is, the, is the dress going to need to be expandable? And we're like, no, we just, we just didn't want to wait have a long engagement. Mary's, it will need to be expandable. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be a scandal. 
but it's actually really important that Joseph obeys God at this point. Like, like really important. I'll tell you why. Did you notice what the angel calls him? Joseph, son of David. That phrase struck me as I was hearing it. Joseph, son of David. I was thinking Jesus, son of David. No, Joseph, son of David is important because two things are important in Israel, right? I, sorry, identity is about two things in Israel. One, identity is important. You are nobody if you don't know your family line and if you're not connected to it. You're a nobody. And secondly, identity is received. That somebody that you are is decided by where you come from. Your origin story sets the path for your life. If your last name is Baker back then, it's because your dad makes bread and guess what? That's what you're doing. That's how it is, okay? Your name means something. It describes where you come from, where you're going to. And it's why in the, in the Bible, I don't know if you've seen this in some places, you might think it's a bit strange, but oh, they're sons of worthlessness uh, as an insult. It's saying you're worthless. You're a son of a bad thing because like, that's how you describe someone who is a particular characteristic. They must come from that thing. Same as um, when, you wanted to call, when they wanted to call James and John, the two disciples, loud. They're like, they're the sons of thunder, you know, because, because they're the, they're, they're, they're obviously come from this loudness. That, and that became the idiom because that's where your path comes from, which means that if Joseph does not obey the angel at this point, Jesus cannot become king. Do you see that? He won't be a legitimate king of Israel. He's not from the line. It'll be a sham kingship. No one is going to follow him. He can't be the Christ, the anointed one. Unless Joseph adopts him. Their world is not like ours. If you expect an Israelite to, to, to bet their life on this Messiah which is what Matthew's writing his gospel so that they will do, then if you're going to say this is the promised one, I've seen other promised ones come and go. Revolutions happen and people die for following those revolutions. If you're asking someone to get their hopes up after generations of disappointment and being a nobody in the whole world, Israel is, is so, yes, returned to the land from their exile, but not returned to blessing, then you need the story to line up. This guy needs to be an actual son of David. And Joseph comes through with that. He marries Mary, which changes Mary's identity. She joins the family. You guys, women who are wives, you'll, you'll, you'll know the process. And it gives Jesus his identity. Identity, though received, is actually a journey. So yes, it's about where we've come from and we receive it, but it's also about where we're at and where we're headed. And so choices we make along the way and choices others make along the way will impact and change and shift our identity too. It did for Mary. Now, I, I, I suspect there's a few people here who this might be an interesting thing to hear. Because I, and I want you to hear it today. I want you to hear God saying that Jesus was adopted. He was born outside the line of the kings. Only two people knew who the biological father was. That's quite often the case, isn't it? Only two people know who the biological father is. And yet Jesus was adopted into the royal family and legitimately became the king of the Jews because of that. In 20 chapters' time, Jesus approaches Jerusalem on a donkey to chants of Hosanna to the son of David. 
because of this choice. If you've grown up feeling somehow different sort of to the, to the, the stuff of the rest of your family, to the way your family are, well then your Lord knows what that's like. That's his story. And yet he took up his identity. He, he honoured it. He didn't reject it. Yes, he had to draw some boundaries at some points when his family came along and, for example, told him he was crazy for doing his ministry. And at that point, he had to obey his father in heaven rather than humans. And yet Joseph gave Jesus a whole new identity, both with his family line and with his name itself, Jesus. And together, that set his destiny. And Jesus received that with a, with a graciousness as a gift from God. There would have been bad things about that. I'm sure there was ways Jesus was sort of like, oh, I don't want to be like my dad. And ways that he can be thankful for the goodness of his father. Now, why does Matthew sort of lead with, with this stuff? Like, I'm sort of thinking it's, it complicates things rather than making it easy, doesn't it? It's tricky. Uh, I imagine you'd either leave people thinking, well, that doesn't pass the pub test, just get a paternity test, mate. It's not going to come out the way you think it's going to come out. Or people will think the whole thing is made up. Why would you lead with this? Well, it's because identity really matters. And this was how it happened, that Jesus' identity came to be what it was. Now, that's our first bit. First bit is identity. But there's a t- second thing in this passage which is really interesting. Not just identity, but I'm gonna, this might be a new word for some of you, maybe. Uh, it's not just his identity that matters. It's also his, uh, where is it? Oh, I have the word somewhere. His ontology. <laughs> okay, that's a, it's a big word. Um, but ontology just means like, like, like what is Jesus? So not, not who is he, where does he come from, what's his lineage, but like, what is he? Have, I, I, have, I have several questions at this point, right? Uh, he has got a divine origin here. Uh, we'll, we'll, go to, um, we'll go here to uh, verses 22 to 25. All this took place, all this whole marriage shenanigans and this controversy, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, this, is, this, 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 this raises questions, divine origins. Like, like, what powers does Jesus have? Like, I want to know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Is he going to be like Hercules? Is he going to be a demigod? Is he going to be Thor? I mean, it makes sense of the beard and the blonde hair that we get in all of the movies, right? Like it, and it doesn't get any less weird as you go through the Gospels. There is also, there's this sense of who is this guy going to be? So we're going to have to do, have a little bit of a look at this question of who is he? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Well, uh, it comes from uh, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Uh, this, this story where there was a prophet who'd gone to the king. And the, you know normally the prophets are going to the kings and giving the kings bad news. You've been a bad boy. God's sending someone to judge you. 
right? This is weird. This is like the, the opposite of everything. So the king, yeah, the, the bad people are coming to smash the king. The king's freaking out and the prophet comes and says, no, nah, it's okay. God's going to save you. You're fine. And it's a bad king. This is Ahaz. Uh, and, and Isaiah's there saying, you're going to be fine. And, the king, and he says, just ask, ask God for a sign. He'll, he'll even do a miracle for you so that you'll know that it's all going to be okay. And Ahaz is like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't want to put the Lord to the test. No, I don't, don't, don't need a miracle. And, for, and, and Isaiah says, God doesn't care. God's going to give you one anyway. And the young girl will give birth to a son. And before that, and he's got his, it's interesting, he's got his, his own son with him at the time. He brings him to the king. God says to do that. And he says, before he's old enough to know right from wrong, God's going to save you from all this and restore the land back to blessing. So it's not just this, this story of God, of God arriving and rocking up. It's also this story of God saying, no, I'm going to do it soon. Do you remember how the, 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 the 14 generations, it's like, no, it's time for God to do something. This is the time when God is going to. And even the prophecies that are being fulfilled have got this sense of God is going to do this soon. And yet, what does it mean, God with us? Like, could it, could, could it be that this saying that this is actually divine? Like, we've got, he comes from the Holy Spirit and a human and he is God with us, but it sort of just seems like a normal human baby in every other way is, is is it a stretch to say that this is trying to say that jesus is divine well jesus the name itself actually gives us another clue too see uh jesus the name means he will save uh, which is which is why um the angel says that we, he calls him that in order to in order to in order to, 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 to indicate that he will save his people from their sins. And yet, if you look at the Old Testament, the, the, the closest match that I can find, there might be closer ones if you can't find it, let me know, is Psalm 130 verse 8, which says God himself is going to redeem his people from their sins. God himself will do it. Like the extra himself added in there, just in case you were thinking he's saying, well, God's going to arrange it. No, no, God himself is going to do it. And so when, so when we've got Jesus being God with us, coming from the Holy Spirit, not a human, Jesus is the one who will save when that's the one who God is going to do. God is going to do the saving. And then as we come to the end of the book and pick it up here in Matthew 28, Matthew's start and end come together really beautifully in a bunch of ways. Worth reading them a couple of times maybe to see if you pick up more that I miss, Right? It's Jesus at the very end of the gospel that says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew starts saying, Jesus coming heralds God being with us. And then Jesus leaving says, no, it's me. It's me who is with you till the very end of the age. You see, the gift of God at Christmas is not just forgiveness, though it is. It's not just presents, though nicely arranges in our world that that's part of the joy of the, the ritual for us. No, it's, it's God himself. God's gift is to give himself to you, to be there for you, to be here with you, to be, to be present with you. This is the great thing. 
the, the great joy of being a Christian is not that God will provide material blessings, though heaven's going to be pretty incredible, but actually that God would be with you. The, the Jesus God giving himself at Christmas is a concept that I think we often think of. Yeah, yeah, he came to the earth so that he could die and he gave himself at the cross. But God's saying, no, no, the giving started before that. It's that I'm here with you and here with you now. And Jesus says, and I'm not gone. I am with you now, says Jesus. So two little things for us. Jesus is our hope. It's he who's going to save us from our sins. And the reason why that matters is because that's actually what is going to to, to, to unite humans with God. So if you're not a Christian here, do understand that what Christians believe is that uh, without Jesus, we have become disconnected from the God who made us by sin. It's why we feel distant from God. And so just like in the garden, God actually said to people, I can't be with you because of this sin. And then later on in, the, in Israel's history, when he chose one particular nation to say, oh, I'm going to save the whole world and get, get all the whole world back into the garden again through this people. Well, they were just as bad. And they got kicked out of their home as well to this exile in Babylon. And so now he's brought them back into the land to, to, to almost like finish the job. And the way that he's going to do that is actually by dealing with the very thing that caused the separation in the first place, which is your sin and mine. Our, our failure to hit the mark of what we ought to be. And God says, I will do that. I am, I am doing that. This is the time to be excited. This is merry Christmas time. This is the time to have joy. For them, because God was about to do it, and for us, because he has. It is done. God is with you if you are a Christian right now. It's a good time of year. It's an exciting time of year. And there's one last thing I want to share. Um, this idea of God with us. Um, if you're thinking that, um, that I'm talking about you because maybe through the week you've talked to me about a sense of not necessarily feeling as close to God or like he's as present with me and relationally and emotionally as you'd like it to be, well then, sorry, it's not about you, join the queue. There's, I've, had, I've had many conversations uh, about that this week because it's what it's like for us, right? Jesus said, I'm with you till the end of the age, but, 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 and yet we still can feel that that's not the case. Our, our feelings and, and what the, the, the objective truth, this sense that God is actually not just in heaven and Jesus joined God in heaven because his job there is to actually mediate between us and God, but also his spirit has been sent and lives in our hearts now, both individually for us, but also collectively. Like There's a special sense that God is with us right now because we're gathered together. We're his people gathered together. We're his family. There's something special that's happening right now that you don't get when you go to work on Monday, at least most of us don't. This is, this, God is with us. But what, but what about when we don't feel it? Well, memory is an interesting faculty. Um, it, it, because something can be here, but we don't necessarily call it to mind. Do you, do, you, do you understand what I mean by the difference, the distinction? So I might have data in the databanks, but I've got to call it to mind. I've got to bring it to my consciousness. I have to attend to that truth. Or it becomes practically, it doesn't matter that it's in here. Do you know what I mean? And that's true about the presence of Jesus with us, the presence of God with us by his spirit. 
So you might think, oh, but, but, if, but, if, but if Jesus was here in body, then I'd pay attention to him. And I'm like, you know, you might not. Because sometimes there are people in a room that I don't pay attention to, that I don't draw to my conscious attention. Sometimes it's me because I want to avoid thinking or feeling about anything to do with me. Sometimes it's someone else just because I don't happen to pay attention to them. And what God is, what God is inviting us to do here is to actually call him to mind, to remember that he is with us. This is what Jesus says, I am with you till the end of the age. And so in any moment that we're in, rather than reflecting back and thinking, I didn't really feel Jesus back then, to, to stop and to actually be, to, to stop, to pay attention to ourselves and then cast our attention to Jesus. Um, Kurt Thompson's a, a helpful guy, Christian guy, um, uh, and he has, says this. He's talking about um, summarising some of Paul's teaching in, the, in the, the New Testament where he says, what do I pay attention to? Paul says that what we pay attention to doubles back and governs us. Hence, our attention is deeply associated with either life or death. And I think that's true with the presence of God with us. Well, our sense of it is directly proportional to our attending to that truth, to our stopping and saying, actually, what is true right now is that the Holy Spirit is here. He is hearing me speak. It's sort of funny, even as I say that, I'm like all of a sudden where my godliness needs to step up a level, doesn't it? He is here. Jesus is here. We, we might hear the service leader helpfully remind us of that or, 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 or be addressing God in prayer uh, even collectively and, and yet somehow there is, there is work for us to do at all times to stop and be in this moment, not be worrying about the future, not, not be living in the hurts of the past, but to stop and attend to this moment, to remember, yes, Christ died for me and yet the present truth is that he's now here with me he's with you he's with me he is real to us his spirit is in us what have you been thinking about and what have you been attending to where have your thoughts been have you been doing yourself the favor of remembering that you've got a friend in the room (laughs) your best friend but sort of forgetting that he's there. It's me quite often. I, I don't know what, maybe pick, I've got one little tiny thing, maybe, maybe pick something. I don't know if it's looking at the clock. Like, like is, is, what's your thing that you look at all the time? Is it the clock at work? Is it the, 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 the email inbox at work? I, I don't know, whatever it is. Why not put something there or just give yourself a mental tick, which is just some kind of reminder that whenever you're looking at the next thing bit, remembering Jesus is here right now, and he's going to be with me in that. Whatever the task list is, there's that next task. Yeah, he's going to be with me when I do that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what your... You guys work out some really good life hacks over dinner. Thank you so much, Hannah, for, for cooking us some dinner. We're going to have some soup tonight. And James. Thank you, James. Sorry? Oh, Jenny. Sorry. Jenny. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jenny. Um, together, encourage each other. Work out some really great life hacks to, 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 to enable us to call to our attention the truth that Jesus is with us. Let's ask him to bless us in that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for who Jesus is, for for Joseph adopting him into the line of those who could possibly rescue us from our sins. And what an incredible thing, Lord, that you have done that. 
Because the result of that, the purpose of that for you was always not just some sort of legal thing, but was so that you could be back with us again in good relationship. And so, God, thank you that that's true. And yet, God, um, I, I confess for many times I don't enjoy the, all of the blessings of that because I don't cast my mind to it. And so, God, please help us to do it. Just uh, thank you, Lord, for, for doing that now through your word, for reminding us to remember that you're here. Amen.